God bless you. acknowledge your presence in this place right now father we we know that you're here and father we ask that you would speak to us lord that you would take this word that we're about to receive lord plant it in our heart god cause it to grow and bear fruit and father we're careful to give you all the praise and all the glory in jesus name amen and amen if you have your bibles you can turn over to colossians the book of colossians Chapter number three, we'll get to that here in just a minute. Um, <clears throat> I told the other two services that I am both uh, excited and challenged by the word today that the Lord has put on me. <clears throat> I feel like, once again, I, in my journey, uh, in my Christianity and where I'm going, uh, in, a, in a personal way, uh, I feel uh, that the Lord has got just some powerful things. I feel like he's rearranging things if you can use that term you know it's i was thinking about this the other day it's so easy to get caught up into the routine how many know what i'm talking about you know we can get so caught up as christians even into the routine of christianity we can get caught up into coming to church and doing what we do and never really fully appreciate all that god is trying to accomplish or all that God is doing within us. We can, uh, you know, we come to church, we put in our time and 
we listen to the sermon, we worship a little bit, and then we go home. And oftentimes when we settle into that routine, we end up settling into something that no longer changes us. It just is just a part of what we do. It's just another part of the week. But I don't believe that's what God had ever intended church to be. I believe, I believe God intended that when you and I gathered together as a body of believers, that there would be an impact in our lives, that there would be a celebration of his goodness and his grace at work in us, that this would be a place where needs can be met, that this would be a place where we can be equipped to do what, the God, what God has called us to do, that, that, that we would be about his business. Can you say amen? But if we're not careful, what can happen is we can miss that. We can, we can just get kind of caught up. And that's why I believe that we have to make a decision about what's happening. We have to be aware of, of some things. I, I shared with the services, um, especially last night, I talked about this a little bit more. Uh, Pastor Alex Wilson uh, preached a message a couple weeks back now maybe three, four weeks ago, and he talked about acknowledging God. He talked about how that the, the truth is, is we know Scripture tells us that God is always with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And that he, we, you know, where two or more are gathered in his name, that he says, I'm in the midst of that. And so it's not about inviting God's presence in as much as it is acknowledging that he's here. And, and, you know, I'm becoming more and more aware of that, even in just my daily life, just even d- driving down the road, acknowledging that he is with me. <clears throat> and what I have found is that when we acknowledge his presence, even in the small things, we become even more sensitive to his presence. We begin to see him in greater and greater ways. We, we begin to feel him, and he, we can hear him, and we can, we can uh, be a part of his moving and, and sense it in the world around us. And so what we have to be is we have to be very careful that we just, as Christians, that we just don't phone this in. Amen? That we just don't abide our time. What we are doing today in this room is kingdom business. I remember years ago when I was just a young disciple, that was often said, is that what we're doing here is kingdom business. This, what we're doing here is greater than any high-level meeting in politics anywhere. That what's happening here is this is God speaking to his people and his people fellowshipping with their God. That's a powerful thought. Can you say Amen. And when we begin to see it that way, when we begin to look at it like that, it takes on a whole new dimension in our lives. And, and I want to encourage you this morning that you would take that thought into your personal life and say, you know what, what I'm doing is far more important than I really probably understand. That my life represents a lot more than what I probably really appreciate. That people are watching me. That my life is a testimony of the kingdom of God. It is, my life is a miracle. If I'm saved, then I am the recipient of the greatest miracle that has ever been brought into the human existence. The salvation of a soul. And that my life is significant. And so in our, even in our quiet times, our private moments, that we're aware and that we acknowledge that God is in fact moving in my life. 
whether I feel it, whether I see it, or, or whether I can sense it, he is moving. The other day I was in my quiet time, my, my daily devotional, and, and I was reading the word, and I was spending some time in the word, and, and as I was reading, I had one of those divine moments, those, those moments of divine clarity. You, you know what I'm talking about. You're reading the word, and all of a sudden it's like, huh. That's it, man. That's the secret. That's the answer to it all. You know, and you, you have this moment. I had one of those moments. And as I was reading from the book of Colossians, I was reading uh, this portion of scripture, and God really began to move upon me. And it was one of those moments where I had made a decision God, I'm going to pay attention. Amen. I'm going to pay attention to you. It was, it was just a simple little decision. It wasn't a big decision. It was just a decision that said, God, I'm going to pay attention. And so as I was paying attention and reading out of Colossians, God really began to speak to me. So what I want to do today in this sermon is I want to share with you this journey, this, this moment, if you will. So I want to start with Colossians chapter 3. And start in verse number one. I'm going to read to you out of the New Living Translation. It'll be on the screen. It says these words. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits at God's right hand in the place of honor and power. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Do not think only about things down here on earth, for you died when Christ died. And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your real life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual sin, impurity, lust, and shameful desires. Don't be greedy for the good things of this life, for that is idolatry. God's terrible anger will come upon those who do such things. You used to do them when your life was still a part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old evil nature and all its wicked deeds. In its place, you have clothed yourself with a brand new nature, that is continually being renewed as you learn more and more about Christ who created this new nature within you. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Now as I sat there in my devotional, I just, I just stopped and and I was paying attention to this portion of scripture, and I just I kind of got looking at it. So let me let me just kind of do with you what I did in the prayer room. I, I just looked, I just began to take it apart, and I considered since you have been raised to new life, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Think about that for a moment. <clears throat> How many know that heaven is real? Heaven's real. And God's telling us, He says, you know what? You need to put your focus on heaven. You need to set your sights on the realities of the kingdom of heaven. Can you say amen? How many know today that the kingdom of heaven is a greater reality than the one we're living right now? There is more in the spirit than there is in the physical. 
Can you say amen? There is more on God's side than there is on our side, so to speak, if you will. If you had a chance to look beyond the curtain, to look beyond the veil, you would find out that there is a world and existence of wonders that we have not even the capacity to imagine. And he says, I need you to pay attention to that. And then he goes on and he says, let heaven fill your thoughts. And as I sat there, I thought to myself, I wonder how often I do that. And then he, he backs it up by saying, don't only think about the things that are on this earth. And I thought, well, I do that really well. I thought, you know what? I pay more attention to what's going on here than filling my thoughts with heaven. And he said, now you need to put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. How many know there's some things lurking around in us? He says, you need to put that to death. And he says, have nothing to do with sexual sin, impurity, lust, and shameful desires. And he says, and don't be greedy. And he says, and now it's time to get rid of anger and rage and malicious behavior, slander, gossip, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. He says, because you have stripped off the old evil nature in all its wicked deeds, and you have in its place clothed yourself with a brand new nature. Now here's the mind blower as I sat there and I thought about this and as I just meditated on the, the very first thing that really came and gripped me is that Paul is writing to born again believers. He's talking to a church. He's talking to people who have been saved by grace. Do you catch that? Listen, don't lie. Hey, Christian, don't lie. Hey, Christians, get rid of anger and rage and malicious behavior, slander, and just for good general principle, dirty language. No. Don't have anything to do with sexual sin. Christians, put to death those evil things that are lurking around inside of you. This is really a good message. Hang on with me, okay? This is really good. Paul's writing to believers. Basically, what he's saying is he's telling them that change is not necessary, it's absolute. Are you hearing me? But here's the problem. We resist change. We avoid change. We even change the word change to fool ourselves into believing that we're not talking about change. Think about the irony of that. We we, we are so unfond of change that we will change the word change to something that makes us feel like we're not changing. Here's the insanity of it all. We like and want the benefit of change, but we do not like the process of change. But change is something we need to embrace. Can you say amen? It's an ongoing part 
of our life, especially the Christian life. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. He goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, he says, but we, with, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. What is he talking about? Is that change is essential for the Christian. It's our new norm. But that seems to be the problem in much of Christianity, doesn't it? People are getting saved, yet they're remaining the same. They're stuck in the same old problems as before. They're wrestling with the same old sins and habits and difficulties. And in many ways, Christians' lives, it's hard to tell in their lives if the gospel has had any effect at all. Amen, brother. That's good preaching right there. Hallelujah. Thank you for that, Pastor. Now, I don't mean to be negative or, or, or even controversial, but there's a reality here that we need to pay attention to. The very heart of Christian, Christian faith revolves around change. But it's not just about making a few adjustments or additions to our schedule or somehow coming up with a new rule book. It's something about living out a new life with a new identity, with a new way of thinking, and a new way of living. It's about living a life of transformation. As I sat there in the prayer room, I I wondered if this could be the reason why we don't see the deeper, greater things of God, like consistent power to make impact like healing and deliverance and revelation, and the list could go on and on. I wonder if the reason that we don't see these deeper, greater things of God is because we have neglected the small things and we have convinced ourselves that everything's okay when, in fact, it's not okay. In 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 3, Paul writes, he says, Brethren... I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal, as babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you're still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there is envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? What's he saying? He's saying, you know what? I wanted to come to you with some really deep spiritual things that would would give you a viewpoint behind the curtain, so to speak. I wanted to show you dynamics of God and, and your potential and who you are in Christ. He says, but I couldn't do that because you guys are still carnal. You're still worldly. You're still given to the flesh. He said, you haven't made the change. He says, I wanted to tell you some great things. I wanted to tell you some deep things. Maybe the reason that we don't see what we want to see is because we have yet to deal with what we have. I was thinking about this, and in the parable of the talents, Jesus says to those who were faithful in Matthew 25, 21, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. 
You were faithful over a few things. I'm going to now make you ruler over many things. I was thinking about that, and it's interesting to note that faithfulness is always linked with stewardship. You say, well, what is stewardship? Stewardship is the ability to be responsible with something that is not your own. See, in the parable of the talents, the men were given something that was not their own. It was according to their ability. It was theirs to manage. It was theirs to make fruitful. It was theirs to prosper for the one they served. But it was not theirs to keep. It was not theirs alone. God says, I'm making you a steward. I'm giving you something. And what we found out is those that had taken that and used it for good, that caused it to prosper, to make it fruitful, they were given much more. But the one who did nothing, even what he had was taken from him. Come on now. The point is this. Maybe the reason that we don't see more in our lives concerning our Christianity is because we have yet to be faithful with what we have. Think about it for a moment. We have all been given this great, incredible gift called salvation, haven't we? Yet we remain stuck in the mud of sin and carnality. Worldly behavior and thinking. See, in position, because of Christ, your faith in Christ, you are now in the position called the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You have been made (coughs) the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's been imputed unto you as righteous. You are made righteous. That's your position. You are sons and daughters of the Most High. You are kings and priests before Him. You are the body and the bride of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what we are in position. But yet in behavior, we are living like mere men. Living way beneath this position that has been given to us. And the thing that we come to the conclusion of is our Heavenly Father is a good Father. And He only releases into our hands what we're able to be responsible for. The whole statement, you have been responsible with a little, so now I'll give you much. If we're not responsible with a little, what happens? Think about it this way. Imagine, if you will, having a teenager who is 16 years old. And I know many of you can, and some of, some of you even cringe at the thought. But here you have a teenager who is desiring, begging, and even at times demanding the privilege of being able to drive the car. Every teenager does. They want to drive. They, they want this awesome responsibility to get behind this, you know, 3,000-pound vehicle that can go 80 miles an hour. They want this responsibility of taking their lives and others in hand and survive the day. Yet this same teenager will not be responsible with schoolwork continues to fail test after test, reluctantly studies, willfully ignores directions, and is irresponsible with the time they're given to complete assignments. There's no doubt that they're fully equipped to do the job given to them. 
There's no doubt that they can accomplish it if they would just do it. But because of immaturity, they simply don't. Most parents would undoubtedly withhold the privilege of driving. If you can't be responsible with homework, why do I think you'll be responsible to drive and to actually go where you say you're going? To actually follow. If you can't follow the rules at school, why would you follow the rules on the road? So what parents do is they say, no, you're going to have to accomplish this first before you get that. Well, that's the same in the kingdom. See, we want this high-end power. We, we want this moving. We want this deep revelation. We want this supernatural power at our fingertips. We, we want to be able to do these things. And oftentimes the reason we want to do it is because we simply just want to consume it on our own lust. For some of us, we're just curious. And so what we want to do is we, we want to do these things. But God says, I need you to be responsible with what I've given you. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Listen to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 through chapter 6, verse 1. It says, you have been Christians for a long time now. You ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things a beginner must learn about the scriptures. You are like babes who drink only milk and cannot eat solid food. And a person who is living on milk isn't very far along in the Christian life, and doesn't know much about doing what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature and who have trained themselves to recognize the difference between right and wrong and then do what is right. So let us stop going over the basics of Christianity again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. See, our need to grow and to mature in our walk, in our relationship with God, is not an option. It is vital to our spiritual life. Yet what happens is we resist. We resist and we hold back for varieties of reasons. Once again, I'm not preaching this today. Let me, let, me, let me make something very, very clear. I am not preaching this so that you go out and just perform. Performance is not what I'm talking about today. See, we confuse performance with accept. We, we say, well, if I perform well, then God will accept me. Listen, God already accepted you. Before the foundation of the earth, he accepted you. Before you were ever born, he said, you're mine. Before before you ever considered him, he died for you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, is the Bible. It's not about what I do as far as my salvation goes. But now far as my lifestyle in Christ, it is about what I do. His expectation is that I would live up to the position that he's put me in. One man said this, to raise us any higher, he would have to violate the Godhead. He would have to break apart the Trinity to get us to go any higher. We're the bride of Christ. We're the body of Christ. All of the Godhead bodily dwells in him, and he dwells in us. Amen. 
And he says, it's not that I, I've accepted you, I love you just the way you are, but I don't want to leave you the way you are. I want you to move on, I want you to grow, I want you to be responsible, I want you to mature, I want you to be full. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So I want you to listen, with that thought in mind, I want you to listen to a very important verse that you're all familiar with, but you need to listen to it. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. This is an important scripture because there's an important contrast that's being expressed here. He's comparing between conformity and transformation. See, there's only two types of Christians on the planet. Those that are conforming and those that are being transformed. What does it mean to be conformed? It means, conformity means that the outside pressures of life, the circumstances, the the things that come against us on the outside, they press us into a mold, a shape of its choosing. That's conformity. Literally, your life is a reaction to the forces that are outside of your life. Are you hearing me? On the other hand... Transformation is a change that begins from the inside and works out to the outside. It's allowing what has already been done in you to come out of you and to be an everyday reality. Are you hearing me? Now, these are very different ways to live, but it's our choice. We can live conformed to this world. Amen. You can actually be saved and still conform to this world. Or you can live transformed. Being conformed to this world means that you will do nothing but react to the world. You will never respond to God. Are you hearing that? Your life will always be in reaction. You say, well, what's wrong with that? It will be a nauseating cycle of one frustration after another. That is conformity. Transformation is where we begin to enjoy the things of the kingdom like righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. Where all of a sudden we're empowered with the ability to change the circumstances, rather than react to the circumstances. You remember the story I I, I shared with you about Jesus in the boat? When he's asleep in the boat, the disciples were reacting to the storm. Jesus responded to the Father. He says, I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what I hear the Father say. It was a response. He responded to the Father. He did not react Are you hearing what I'm saying? So what separates these two ways of living? What separates conformity from transformation? A very simple thing. It's called the renewing of the mind. 
Only through a renewed mind will we experience transformation. If you don't have a renewed mind, you will continue to conform. You will continue to be pressed into a shape that you were not created to be in. You will continue to live in reaction to every circumstance and situation that comes your way. But with a renewed mind, you will walk in transformation and you literally will become a dispenser of that transformation. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's your decision. You get to choose. In the Old Testament, he said it this way. I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life that you may live. In the New Testament, he talks about conformity and transformation. He says, you can live the old way and be conformed, or you can live in a new way and be transformed. We have to ask ourselves, is it good enough just to live in reaction? Is it good enough just to react to the world? Or is it better still to be in response to our Heavenly Father? One man put it this way. He said, we are perfectly useless as Christians if all we do is conform to the world around us. So let's ask the question, what does it mean this morning to have a renewed mind? Well, let's, let's think about it in these terms. Let's think about it in terms that you used to be on a soccer team that had a very abusive coach. And on that team, your coach was harsh. He belittled the team. He ruled in fear and intimidation. In order to make the team, you had to learn how to cope and succeed and survive under this abusive authority. It was never fun. It was always a drudgery. It was always a labor. If you won, you were not celebrated. If you lost, you were berated. But then one day, one day, you were traded to a new team. You got a new coach. The old coach was gone. You were no longer under that abusive authority. You no longer had any relationship with him. Your new coach was nothing like your old coach. He was kind and respectful to his team, and he motivated the players out of love. But how do you suppose you reacted initially to your new coach and your new team? Probably the same way you'd been trained. Is under the old coach. But hopefully in time, your relationship with your new coach begin to change your behavior on the field. You were definitely on a new team, but you had a choice. Do I continue to live under the training of the old coach or do I accept and embrace the training of the new coach. See, there's no doubt today that everyone in this room 
started on the wrong team. Everyone in this room started on the wrong team. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, it says we were, he, he made us alive who were dead in trespass and sin. Who walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Whose spirit works in the sons of disobedience. As a result, we learned to live independently of God. We learned that we had a different way. We learned that, you know what, our way is probably better. We learned that we could cope. And we figured out this fallen world. And we came up with all kinds of systems and ways of believing. We came up with a perspective. We came up with all kinds of things in our mind that help us navigate this abusive world with this abusive coach. And as a result, sinful thoughts and desires and activities were ingrained into our minds. Then one day, we became new creations in Christ. We were transferred, the Bible says, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But nobody pushed the clear button on our mind. All the previous training, experiences, habits, and memories, and all that stuff was still active within us. And that's why even as believers, we can, in fact, remain conformed to this world and continue to believe as we always have believed, living as we have always lived, until we make a decision to renew our minds. Paul writes to the Romans, and he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be Transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is the habit of a lifetime. Being transformed by the renewing of your mind is a lifestyle that must be continual. See, there's many that believe that the only problem with our human mind is that we just haven't gotten enough information that if we could just simply learn more, then we would be better. Knowledge is all I need. So I'm going to study. I'm going to study, study, study so that my mind can be redeemed. But that's not good. It's good, but it's not good enough. See, the problem is far more profound In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, the Bible says these words, listen, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, what in the world is that? In the spirit of your mind. It means this, at least this. It means that our mind has a spirit. In other words, our mind has what we call a mindset. It doesn't just have a view It has a viewpoint. It doesn't have just the power to perceive or to detect. It has a posture. It has a demeanor. It has a bearing. It has an attitude. It has a bend to it. There's a bent to our mind. There is a direction 
that our mind is heading in. But the real problem with our mind is not that it's merely finite, it's fallen. Salvation doesn't automatically change our minds. We must choose to have our minds changed. We must choose to think a different way. We must choose to believe a different way. This is the whole point of Colossians chapter 3. He's talking to believers. He says, don't lie. Why would somebody lie? Because they believe there is a benefit in it. You've got to change that mindset. Why would they lust? Why would they desire? Why would they, why would they go after it? Why would they be enraged? Why would they be angry? Why would they use dirty words? Because that mind believes there's something good in it. That's how we used to believe. This is what we believed. It's about me. I got to protect self. God says, you don't live there no more. You live here. You live in this kingdom. And this kingdom has a whole new set of ways of doing things. So you have to make a choice. Literally, what we're talking about is that a renewed mind, it literally makes a paradigm shift. Paradigm shift, it's a $50 word to express a very simple thought. And I'll I'll express it in a story. There was a man, he was a Christian man. And he was a stockbroker on the New New York Wall Street. One day, he had had a particularly bad day. He was in the office, stocks weren't going right, money was being lost. He was being held accountable to things that weren't really necessarily under his control. And finally, the end of the day came, and he said, I have had enough. He said, I'm going home. So, as it were, he heads to the subway station to get the train to head to his house. And for some remarkable reason, he ends up in a car in the subway that's empty, which is remarkable for New York City. But it does help this story. And so he gets in the car, he sits down, and he just kind of takes a deep breath and he thinks to himself, thank God, solitude. I don't have to deal with people. I'm going to just get home and I'm going to forget this day ever happened. Well, as it would happen, they came to the very next stop in the subway line. The door opened. And four very small, rowdy children rush in. And they're yelling and screaming and goofing around and bouncing off the walls, jumping and all of this. And then this young man, this obvious father of these four children, comes in, but he's very sullen. He's almost unaware of his children's activity. And he sits down and he hangs his head and puts his head in his hands and just stares at the floor. Meanwhile, the kids are just going crazy, as the little kids will do. They're yelling and screaming, bouncing off the walls. And and the whole time, this Christian stockbroker, he's getting more and more angry. He's just seething on the inside. How in the world does this man not see what his kids are doing? See, this is what's wrong with America. Bad parenting. On and on. 
<coughs> and he's just going on and on inside him. Finally, one of the kids running back and forth hits the man's briefcase. It falls to the floor, pops open, papers everywhere, and the Christian man has had enough. It is the final straw. He jumps up. He rushes over to the man and says, Hey, pay attention. Your kids are going nuts. What kind of father are you? You're horrible. And the young man looks up with tears in his eyes. And he says, I'm so sorry. We've just come from the hospital where my wife just died. The Christian man just had a paradigm shift. All of a sudden, he stopped. He sat down. And he put his arm around the man. And he says, let me pray for you. Both men then became unaware of the rowdy children. Because it wasn't about the rowdy children, was it? It wasn't about the stockbroker's bad day. What it was, was about the man who had lost his wife that needed somebody to love him and care about him. See, somewhere along the line, church, we got to stop thinking like we used to. We judge, we condemn, we ignore, we come to conclusions, we live as if we're still in that old kingdom by that old law. We live, live as if we're nothing. We live as if we have no quality in our life. We, we live as if we're somehow valueless. And God says, you are kings and priests. God says, you're my children. God says, you're my body. You're my bride. And I love you with an everlasting love. We entertain all kinds of thoughts in our minds. We, we pollute our minds with the things of this world. Thinking that somehow I'm the exception to the rule. That it won't affect me. And God says, that's not even who you are anymore. You took that old nature off. You put on new nature. The, you say, well, what does that mean? It would be, you know, John Oberlin, he, he's here. He's a mechanic. Can you imagine John Oberlin getting up one morning to go work on cars and he puts on a three-piece suit? He's got a, you know, he's got, you know, the whole thing. He's got the vest, the tie, the suit, the pants, the shiny shoes. And, and Jewel looks at him and says, where are you going? He goes, I'm going out to the garage. I'm working on cars. You're not dressed for it. Or can you imagine being invited to a presidential banquet sweatpants holy t-shirt and not kind of righteous holy but I'm talking holy holy holes things see your belly button you go where are you going oh, I'm going to see the president not dressed like that you're not God says I've given you new clothes I've given you a new nature your old nature, it produced sin. But your new nature, it produces right, righteousness, joy, peace, and the Holy Spirit and kingdom. He goes, now you got to start thinking like that. You know, I wonder, see, I sat there 
And I'll be honest with you, I've prayed a lot about a lot of things. I want to see souls saved, man. You know, we had something happen. I don't know if you saw it on Facebook. And I, I had to really spend some time thinking about it. Because at first I thought it might be just a joke. And whether it's a joke or not, it was kind of offensive to me. It said that Kingman was the number two greatest white trash town in Arizona. And as it caught my attention, it it listed the reasons why it said things like, you know, the category is we how many check cashing places do you have and how many bars do you have and what's the poverty rate and all of that kind of stuff. And I thought, you know what? This is my city. You're not going to call it white trash. They talked about how much drug addiction and all that kind of stuff. And I got thinking about it. I thought, you know what? Somebody needs to stand up and say something. This is Kingman. This is King Man. The King's Man. We got to start thinking differently. Blessing coming to this city. Lives being changed, homes being revolutionized, children being saved and set free, drug addiction being a thing of the past, alcoholism being wiped away. Can it happen? It has happened before in other cities. But Christians are going to have to get into the new kingdom and start acting like Christians instead of like they used to be. We're going to have to go, wait a second, I can make a difference. There's an old story about a little boy that's walking on a beach somewhere. And the tidal waves that had there the waves and the tidal system that had been there, the currents had washed all these starfish up on the beach. There was literally millions of them on the beach. This whole very long beach. And so this little boy he's taking the starfish and he's throwing them back in the ocean one at a time. And an old man walks up and he says, What are you doing? He goes, well, I'm getting these starfish back in the ocean. And the man said, do you not see that there are millions of starfish? You can't possibly make a difference. And the little boy picked up one. He goes, to this one I did. See, that's kingdom thinking. See, I don't know what you're capable of. In, in the parable of the talents, Jesus gave talent according to their ability. One, five, one, three, one, one. And he says, now go do something with it. According to their ability, I don't know what your ability is. Maybe you're a five-talent person. Maybe you're a three or a two or a one. I don't know what it is, but do something with it. We know this. Nothing will happen if you do nothing. Maybe you only win one soul to the Lord, but to that one, you made the difference. Maybe you'll lay hands on one person, then they'll get healed. See, that's kingdom thinking. It's not about quantity. It's about quality. It's about the fact that you actually walked in Christianity today. You actually walked like Jesus walked. See, church, we get so caught up. Yeah, what do you do? I'm just going to church. You just put in my hour. As soon as you know, we, we listen, you know, here's what we do. Jason's usually got you know, four songs, maybe five, if he's feeling really aggressive. <laughs> then there's going to be some announcements on a video some are going to be funny some are going to be really cute and some are going to be precious Taylor and Paige, precious 
Some are going to be like, oh my God, how big is that guy like me? How many cameras really are on that guy, you know? And then we get done with that. We take an offering. We listen to some preaching. We go home and have a hamburger and generally not impacted. We got to stop that. We got to be aware. See, what happened in me to me when I was in the prayer room is I said, God, I'm going to pay attention today. His word will change you. One word out of his word will change everything. We've got to have a renewed mind. A renewed mind. And you know what's funny? Is last night, just before I preached this sermon for the first time, there was actually an opportunity for me to function in the old kingdom. There was something that was said to me, and immediately I felt this temptation to go, err. And just begin to digress into complaining. But you know what? I walked over here to the new kingdom. And I went, you know what, God? It ain't about me today. And you know what? I pray for him. I pray, God, that's your business. I'll worry about me. You worry about them. And I'm going to hold my tongue. And I did. And God helped me. See, that's what, that, it's not rocket science. It's pretty simple. You're going to have to go do some inventory. You're going to have to ask yourself. Go through Colossians. There's another place in Ephesians. There's all through those letters. He gives us what we need to be. Go say, am I being it? Am I doing this? Or am I just living like I've always lived? I'm saved, but nothing's changed. The best you can hope is a cycle of frustration. But if you do this, if you'll have a renewed mind, God says, you've been faithful of a little. Now I'm going to give you a lot. That's what interests me. Can you say amen? Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you, God, for your blessing. We thank you, Lord, that you have helped us today. I pray, Lord, that this revelation, God, of a renewed mind would rest upon us, Father, that we would be stirred by it, that we would make the decision to be aware and, Lord, ask ourselves the question, am I living with a renewed mind or am I just living the way I've always lived? Father, let your word be a guide to us. Let your spirit help us. God, make the difference in us. Father, teach us in the way we should go. Help us to meditate on your word. Father, help us to yield our mind to you, to pray for the Holy Spirit, to renew our mind and to yield our will to God. Father, help us today. Father, we're careful to give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name.